Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology, and sustainability. Hello, and welcome to a podcast by ONS and Learn. My name is Silvia Seres, and our topic today is energy technology. My guest is Jan Olaf Willems, a chairman and founder of a company called ZEM, Zero Emissions Marine Solutions. Welcome. Thank you. Jan Olaf, um, you're a serial entrepreneur and you've done very interesting uh, things um, in the early days with oil industry. Um, and, and now you're moving into, um, well, not now, you, you did AI before people knew what AI was. And, 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 and you did things with solar, and now you're doing things with um, zero emissions. Yes. Um, and, and, and I'll ask you to, to talk more about your latest company in the rest of our podcast, but I would dearly love you to tell us about your journey and what drives you. Okay. Well, originally, I'm a typical engineer that when you see a, a problem, you always look for solutions and you can't sleep until you find a, some kind of a solution. And that has, has um, happened all since I started in the U.S. and in Switzerland. Uh, when we were working on electric cars uh, called Think, we had some very good understanding of what batteries could do and followed how the battery development was moving suddenly extremely fast. And it was actually the uh, former CEO of a DNV, uh, that time, Denoske Veritas, who said, you should really look at application in the mail industry. I didn't really believe him until uh, I really dug into it and found out there were many opportunities. And since then, we started then as a first step as a consultant uh, to shipping companies. We had some models to find out how batteries would behave over time and uh, how long they should could last and what type of batteries could be there. So we were very, very uh, liked uh, consultants uh, giving advice until one of the ship owners said, couldn't you stop telling everybody? Couldn't you just do it? So we said, well, let's do it. So we suddenly get bit on uh, some supply vessel and won it. And since then, we have uh, supplied about 12 uh, large ships and smaller ships with battery systems. Super interesting. I want you to tell me a little bit about your time uh, with Saga Petroleum. Oh, go that's, back, yeah. back, back. Well, I was uh, I was actually writing a thesis at MIT on oil and gas in China, and uh, when I gave a presentation on that at the at the uh, not the ONS but the uh, Houston uh, uh, oil conference, people said, hey, "Listen, that's interesting, and something is happening in Norway." So. One of the director of Saga said, listen, you better start in Norway. So I came to Norway and I built um, an activity. And we tried that time to export Norwegian technology to other countries, Norwegian oil technology. We called the company the Joint Venture Oil Deco, which was a combination between Saga and Hydro and Veritas and uh, Norwegian contractors, many other activities. When, when you talk about technology, this is... Uh... This is stuff that involves all the offshore yes, uh, rig and, 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 and related technology, exploration exactly. and the so whole, on. Because we in Norway had just learned how to build an expertise from A to Z. And uh, we were invited as first company to Vietnam. 
And we uh, there were there with Noshkaidro and uh, got suddenly a concession because people liked the experience of learning from scratch and then building something up. So that was a very interesting uh, idea. But after a while, also, I realized that maybe there's something more than oil. And that's why I became more and more oriented on environmental issues. But uh, you have to tell us a little bit. Well, you worked on AI in uh, Comptas expert systems. Yes, uh, we had a very good cooperation with Dinoshka Veritas, who had created a, a software company. And uh, they had one or two people who said there's something new called artificial intelligence. And then uh, I convinced that that time they, they had to say, let's create a joint company. So we had a 50-50 company doing oil and gas focused artificial intelligence. The most famous project we had was getting a uh, drill expert, a drilling expert from um, uh, from Total, who had some heart problems, so he could not be on the field. He explained to us whatever he was doing, if something would happen. So we created an expert system for preventing oil blowouts. And Total tells us they have used it once even to prevent a, what they call a kick, first step of the blowout. So it was a really practical application of new technology in in that time, environmental uh, issues. What what uh, time is this approximately? Oh, we talk about the late 80s. Late 80s. Late 80s. So we were quite early. Uh, and we had a very interesting experience. We went over to Xerox Park. That was the only uh, place where they had those huge machines. And they showed us something very interesting. They said it's something called, we call it a mouse. It was brand new. Uh, and they showed us how you could move on a black and white screen with a mouse, mouse. which was, you see, it was quite early. Yeah. Um, these years were maybe one of the most explosive, in a positive sense, growth years for Norway. And a part of the whole uh, growth is because we have these brilliant technologists like yourself who know how to solve extremely difficult problems but then we were able to sell that technology to all the other oil companies that were looking for oil on our continental shelf. Uh, how hard was that, you know, from a small country to decide, look, we have the best offshore technology yeah. in the world, use ours? It was not hard because coming to a country like we were in Tanzania and we were in the, in different Asian countries, we, Norway was regarded as a not dangerous small country. So they liked very much that we talked about how to handle it. They also liked how we talked, how we build up the oil policies. So I remember I got an email uh, some years ago from uh, the, the, uh, the chairman of the state oil company in Suriname. And he said, you gave a speech back then about how Norway had organized oil. We took that and we implemented that to the to the national, to creating the national company of Suriname, which is a, a small state uh, in uh, Latin America. So the idea of telling stories about what you experienced in a simple way was extremely interesting and very fascinating at that time. No problem at all to be regarded as a big oil major. But then you, you became a co-founder of the business, uh, World Business Council for Sustainable Development. This was long before everybody knew what an SDG is. It was long before that, but it was actually created uh, on an initiative by Gruhal and Brundtland. She, held, she arranged a conference 
in Bergen, I think in 1990, where she said, we really have to work much more together between industry, government, science, uh, labor units, and others. And it's interesting, it's the same theme I heard this morning, actually, at the conference they have, uh, where, glo where the Global Compact is it's discussion and the SDGs, it's a cooperation. So she created that idea, and I was asked if I could be co-arranger of that. There we created the first initiative uh, called the Business Council for Sustainable Development. And then we merged that with the World Industry Council for Environment, which I'm heading, and we created this entity, which is today quite an important collection of business people trying to find practical solutions for the, for the climate issue, among others. Are you surprised by the, you know, like now there is not uh, one company, I think, with any respect for itself that doesn't have these SDGs somewhere in sustainability reporting and are, are you are you surprised are you are you I'm a bit sad proud? that it took so long time <laughs> I think uh, we thought that would be a quick quick solution everybody would, would agree on it but it it takes a while it takes a while and it takes as was also actually said this morning it takes some dedicated leaders that's what they're going to do you were also involved in REC. It's one of the mo most fascinating energy companies we have in this country. Yeah, I was. What uh, did you do? No, I was happy enough to uh, be invited by Alf Bjørset to, to create a down small downstream company uh, because he already had uh, created the upstream wafer company, and then we merged those two together to create REC. Uh, that's also now 20, close to 20, not quite 20 years ago. So I was on the board there for seven years and uh, we really had a great time on this growth. And uh, Alf and that time, Ryder Langmo were fantastic uh, leaders who really built it up mm -hmm. to be very successful until the Chinese came and then uh, kind of ruined the market a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things happen when you have a super rich state uh, owner subsidizing things to move the market or shift the market. Um, tell us more about Zero Emission Marine Systems Company. H how does it work? Well, basically, we looked around uh, that time and said, who has the best technology that they could adapt for, for ships? And we found out that there were one or two companies who were doing quite good systems, rack systems for solar and wind systems. And we went to them and said... Do you mind if we adapt that to the requirements uh, of the marine sector? And as we are having our offices in the DNV's uh, GL's headquarters, we have a good dialogue and we know also the challenges which are being set by, by government um, certification agencies. So we did that and through that we first um, built the first supply vessel uh, battery systems. And then the uh, Brothers O, that's a, a small shipyard making, making carbon fiber vessels. They came to us and they said, um, we have an idea to create a very different type of catamaran, but it has to be very safe because uh, it has to be for 400 passengers. So we sat down with them and we developed then a concept for batteries for, for the vision of the fjords, which is one of the most fascinating ships. And now we are already producing the third uh, battery version for the third vessels and more to come. So this idea of partnering with other pioneers was extremely fun. So the one, one thing that people say in shipping is that uh, electrification is very difficult for the larger vessels because of the size and the weight of the battery. 
Uh, are they underestimating the speed of change in battery technologies? Partly yes, because the, the costs are going down continuously down, and the effect are going better. But I think that when people think about electrification, they somehow confuse sometimes with a fully electric ferry like the Ampere, or a improvement of efficiency by batteries. The supply vessels they are. They still have uh, diesel or other types of, uh, of generation, but they keep that at a very standard, optimal level, and all variations are taken by the battery. And that means for the one we know most, uh, the uh, IDSV group, they have now reduced their, their fuel consumption by 30% because they can optimize the traditional engine and take all the variations by the battery. And I think that's the combination. Can I ask you, one thing that I was always wondering about is, are there developments also in the way that we charge these batteries? I mean, it could be some renewable simply by solar panels yeah. on the ships or wind or some That would be or... marginal. I think the m most effective thing is to keep the traditional engines optimal or using full electric like uh, the, uh, the new color lines. When they go into the harbor and out of the harbor, then they are then um, going electric. And then when they're outside there, they can charge the batteries again when they're in the open sea by the normal engine. But keeping the, the uh, optimal uh, level of efficiency for the traditional engine as good as possible. And that's the big savings. So it has a huge effect on uh, emissions and environment exactly. in harbors. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, you're talking about other projects in energy technology, about Zenbox and Zetlink. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, Zenbox, we are trying to, we have learned very much um, partly by incorporating on smaller system with uh, a company called Akasol in Germany, who's doing bus batteries for Volvo and others. And we realized that we can actually do that concept even smaller, making a standardized small unit box that can be easily put into smaller vessels, even in, in other vehicles, uh, other um, um, heavy-duty vehicles, mining vehicles. So the idea, we're trying now to move the concept of modular battery systems which don't require huge battery rooms, but which are small battery rooms in themselves, and make that as a standardized, nearly a Lego-type system we can put them together. And that's a project we've been working on uh, the last few months and uh, seems to be very interesting. And Zetlink? Zetlink is a sister company. We, uh, we, have, uh, create, we have been asked by, uh, by different German companies, including Aeon, if you could make uh, energy efficiency in the transport sector better. And we found out that the best way is not to just change uh, the number of electric cars uh, or changing existing of the electric cars, but also reducing the number of cars. So we are developing a project there with a number of sponsors to see how can we get transport more efficient by combining car sharing, ride sharing, uh, bike sharing, and public transport into one uh, system, which again uses AI for optimization. So it's back again to using the old technology, which are developed fantastically now since, uh, since we left the artificial intelligence, use that systematically to make more efficiency. As I heard this morning a uh, talk by a DNV guild, they said the most, the best energy source is not to use the energy. So energy efficiency is the best 
energy source you can find. Or savings. Uh, That's savings, exactly. Um, uh, we are running out of time, but I really have to ask you um, about regulations that mm -hmm. enable development of all these yeah. new technologies. Do you think that we are being too conservative in the way we open up regulations for this? No, I think it's important that there's a very close cooperation between government regulatory and agencies and the technology providers so that the technology as they advance very quickly can quickly be adapted uh, to a framework because we want to be sure that the technology is safe and uh, provides also the uh, social benefit, not only technology benefits. That works quite well in Norway. It was a little bit slow in the beginning uh, when uh, I was involved in Think, uh, but uh, now I think it works very well. And this becomes actually a good demonstration for other countries, how a very close cooperation between the regulators and the technology companies create solutions which actually fit quite nicely. And are maybe even world-leading that's what we hope that becomes. And we can, again, be listened to like we did 30 years ago in the oil industry. I, I want to ask you also, when are you most proud to be Norwegian? Uh, you mentioned something to me like, this is, this is, it's okay to fail here. It's okay to be too early. Uh, but, I mean, you did many early moves. Yeah, and some well, of them I mean, to be Norwegian. Uh, I think the idea to cooperate on some issues where you have a common belief, we had in Think, we had a fantastic team spirit. We really pulled all the same direction and created uh, some very interesting electric car concepts at that time, a little bit too early. I think the idea to discuss that openly with the governments and then be accepted that you try the best thing uh, and that's why when you ask me also about a good quote, I had one mentor in the old days and uh, he said he was the, uh, actually he was the chairman of, uh, of the Porsche. And he said uh, uh, in German, uh, es gibt nichts Gutes außer man tutes, which is a nice wordplay. Nothing good happens unless you actually do it. And I think that has for me a very good sign. Just try it. And because if you try it, something will happen. Maybe not exactly what expected, but you start the process. And that is the quote which I would like to, to, leave. to, to leave. You, uh, I asked you if there is a book you'd like to recommend. And you mentioned Thomas Friedman. Yeah, Thomas Friedman was for me a very interesting book. Actually, uh, a, a very good reading every year. And that was today actually launched by uh, BAE and, and, and uh, the Global Compact is a, a global, the Global Opportunity Report. DNV had the idea together with others that let's not only talk about risk, every risk is an opportunity. So today they're actually launching this year's, and that's the third, fifth time, this year's global opportunity report. Because instead of talking to risk, you say, well, there is a risk and there are many climate risks. Who can do something about it? And what is the business opportunity? And that's the right spirit. So we'll read Hot, Flat and Crowded by Friedman and then we'll look into the Global Opportunity Report by the MVGL. Um, what and, would... and the Global Compact. It's, uh, it's not the, global, it's compact. A global Compact from the UN. Um, what do you think is the most important um, thought, idea that we talked about? I think to get young people excited about it, it's worthwhile doing something about in the climate issue, uh, about generally environmental issue, but specifically the climate issue, that's becoming quite urgent. And I see that uh, young people are getting more and more engaged in it and really 
demanding to the old guys, uh, listen, you have to do something because it's my future. It's not your future that it's at stake. Jan Olaf Willems, a serial entrepreneur and a serial hero, if you ask no. me, <laughs> in Norwegian technology. Um, thank you so much for coming here and inspiring us to think new about opportunities in technology for environment. Thank you. Thank you for listening.